Welcome to Season 3 of The Lifestyle Chase, and I'm your host, Chris Little. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. To help this podcast grow, please share it on social media, rate five stars, tell your friends, and check out the past 140 episodes and counting. You can follow me on Instagram at Christian Little and at The Lifestyle Chase. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. Okay, so welcome to The Lifestyle Chase. This is episode 148, and I'm going to try and get this right. I am joined by Ivana Redayeve. Did I did I get it? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, don't mess it up, don't mess it up. Okay. <laughs> So no, that was good. How has your day unfolded? Like right now to give our audience some context, I'm going into this almost completely blind. I came across you on LinkedIn and I thought that you have a diverse skill set that would be valuable. And I thought that you'd have a good story. And so what's, what's a day in the life like for you? Like what was today like for instance? Well, right now, because we're going into sort of prime uh, holiday season for e-commerce, and I work in the e-commerce field, it is crazy. Um, every day is really busy, and it will be that way until January. So, you know, it kind of comes with the territory. But, um, you know, any day, like I'm either... We're, we're, we have a number of courses that we're teaching about Black Friday, Cyber Monday. So I'm either managing the co- course content, I'm teaching, I'm coaching merchants, um, managing like the online community. We have a speaker series that we do every Friday now. So I'm prepping for that, which is really fun. Um, so there's just a lot going on. And that's just on one side of it. There's a whole other client side too of getting clients ready and prepped for the holiday season. So every day is very busy right now. So if you were to introduce yourself, like what makes you who you are, what you're passionate about, but you had like a minute or less to do it, what would that sound like? I actually really enjoy what I do. I really like working in the field that I work in. I love talking to merchants. I think it's so inspiring. Their stories are really cool. Um, I always tell people it's not like for a lot of them, this isn't like a nine to five where they're just earning a paycheck. Like For many of them, it's kind of like a side hustle, a passion project that they're just working away on privately or it's like they've, you know, believe in it so much they like sunk everything into it and like this is it this is what they do so the dialogue with them is very different than I find it is with a lot of other people like they're very inspiring they're very motivated they're very passionate and it's hard not to get wrapped up in some of that so I actually really really enjoy that and it makes coming to work fun which I guess is a good thing um so I yeah I would say that's really what's driving me right now and what I really enjoy So a lot of people, when they're younger, they kind of have an idea of what they want to be when they grow up. And I mean, like, I know when I was like 10, 11, 12 years old, I was like, oh, maybe like a police officer or a firefighter, Mm -hmm. like little kids just have like their thing that they want to be. If we went back to you when you were 10, 12 years old, like what was life like and what did you want to be when you grew up at that point? Well, when I was 
10, I was actually still in Germany. So I didn't come to Canada until I was 11, I think almost 12 maybe. Um, so Canada has been home for over 20 years now. Um, but before that, I lived in Germany for eight years. And then I was actually born in Croatia before that. So we hopped around to different places. Um, but when I was 10, 12 years old, I really, I thought I was going to have like my own little cooking show. Like I always really enjoyed pretending to have a cooking show. So I'd set up all my little things. I'd measure everything out. And then I would just talk to the air and bake things and cook things. And my mom would always like yell at me for wasting ingredients because a lot of it didn't turn out. But I thought maybe I'll have my own cooking show or, you know, I really liked animals. I still really like animals. I thought I'd be like a vet maybe or something like that. I never thought I would be in e-commerce, obviously, didn't know what that was. Um, but yeah, I would say like those two things are probably what I thought I would be. And, you know, I still enjoy those things now. Well, I think it's cool that you've had experience living in different nations. Um, tell me a bit more about that. Like, how did that all unfold? Like, what what brought you from place to place? Yeah, so um, I was actually, well, I, I was born in what, is modern day Croatia, but it was a former Yugoslavia at the time. Um, so when I was about three years old, that's when things really started to kind of deteriorate in terms of like the civil war and everything that happened there. So my parents, like they were also, you know, young at the time and they decided to move to Germany because my mom's parents lived in Germany. They still, my grandmother still lives there. Um, just, you know, to be kind of safe. So we moved to Germany and we came there as asylum seekers. So when we got there, um, like I said, I was about three years old and we they kind of put us up in these like container homes. So they were literally like those, like, you know, like the Atco sea cans that you see in construction sites. Like that's what we lived in. So they set up these about like rows of sea cans and then every family got like one their own little room. And so I was in that little room with my parents and that's where we stayed for the first little bit until they were able to like find us an apartment and we were able to move out of there. So, yeah, I mean, I don't remember much from there. I, I, I remember it was fine. Like, I, I remember having a fine time. My parents were working a lot of the time. So, um, yeah, it was great. And then we spent, I was, yeah, like I said, 12 or 11 when we left Germany. And that was just because our asylum, like, they, our asylum had run out, essentially. They were like, there's, you know, the war's over. You can go home. And there was really nothing to go back home to at that point. Um, you know, my parents' house was uh, it was destroyed in the war and like everybody had kind of moved away and there was really not much opportunity there. So they gave us an option to emigrate to, to like Canada or Australia, New Zealand, the States. And my parents chose Canada. I don't know why, because we have no family here. Like we knew nobody when we came here. And um, they basically sent us to kind of where they needed, like my dad's an electrician. So they sent us to where they needed those skill sets in Canada. So we didn't actually get a choice in where we got sent. And that's how we ended up in Edmonton. And that was like I said, over 20 years ago. And when they told us we were going to Canada, I remember like my parents actually had to flip open a map and find where like Edmonton was because they we'd never heard of it. We thought everybody that went to Canada went to Toronto. Like that's it. That's where we thought everybody got sent. And we got sent way past Toronto. Um, but yeah, that's how we ended up in Edmonton. And that's where we've been. And that's kind of the life story in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, something that I like about that is just like being in a totally new environment, having to sort of familiarize yourself with things like what 
was your like process as a kid trying to kind of like figure out your new normal as it were uh it was difficult at first like i remember there was you know a bit of bullying and like school and stuff like that because obviously we didn't come over speaking fluent english um i was i did speak some because in germany in grade like uh five they it was mandatory to take english so i did have like some base understanding of the language and then i really learned the rest of it by watching tv like that's how i learned english that's how my parents learned english um and yeah, I mean, a lot of it was just kind of getting used to a new normal. I think it's a little bit easier for kids to adapt. I imagine it was a lot harder for my parents. Uh, but initially to make things easier for us, they put us in a, a German bilingual school. So half my classes were in German and then half were in English. Um, and that worked really well for me. Um, and I, I did grade six like that. And then I went to junior high and that was just like a fully, fully English school. But by that point I was speaking the, the language fluently. Um, so it was difficult in the sense of like making friends and it was hard because we didn't have any family here. So we were really very much on our own. I was just like me, my dad, my mom and my sister, who's five and a half years younger than me. Um, so we didn't really have like the support system or anyone that we knew and had to start from scratch. And I remember the first ever friend that I made who's... Um, I think my lights turned off and hopefully they turn back on but um the first ever friend that i made was actually my neighbor um that lived like next door to us and she's still my friend to this day so well yeah was that how you kind of found your connections was it based on like proximity or were there certain hobbies that you took up or like common ground that you found with people it was uh Proximity helped because uh, we kind of lived in an area where there was a lot of people from from back home. So there was like, you know, the language was common and we were able to communicate. And I met a lot of like people that way. And then school, like a lot of uh, a lot of my friends were just made through through school. I think how any kid makes friends. So and sports and things like that. Like I played soccer later and volleyball and that kind of stuff. So there was like some camaraderie there. And that's how I make friends. And so going from there, moving forward, what was the, the journey to get you into e-commerce and into that space? Like, I know that when I was like, I don't know, like 15, 16 years old, I didn't know what e-commerce was. I didn't think that there would be so much internet, like just with how <laughs> much has been developed over the last like 10, 15 years kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a funny story because I didn't like my my degree is actually in political science. So when I came out of university, I went and worked for the government. Um, and that's kind of what I thought I wanted to do. And I always had like an interest in international migration policy. And after university, I went back to Germany, did an internship there. Um, coincidentally, with the same organization that we got sent to Canada <laughs> through. So it kind of came full circle for me there. But um yeah, and I worked in, in for the government for four years and in kind of different capacities. And I just I did I didn't see myself doing that long term. Like it was a very comfortable job. I mean, you know, like the money was great, the benefits were great, everything was great. And nothing wrong with people that like working for the government. I'm not here to, you know, bash any of that. It just wasn't for me. Like I, I just couldn't see myself doing that for the next like 30, 40 years. Um so I decided to put on the brakes. I kind of took basically a year where I was trying to figure out, I was trying to make a bit of a career change because I did get a little bit of a taste for marketing and I realized I liked it. And I was applying to jobs, but I wasn't getting any interviews because I didn't have like 
really next to no relevant work experience. So I decided to go back to school and actually did a PR diploma at McEwen. And before I even started that in the spring, I took one of the courses to see if I'd even like it because I was didn't want to waste a year doing something that I wasn't going to like. And one of the uh, assignments was to interview somebody who worked in marketing. So I went to Twitter because I was, you know, the, I was on Twitter. It was a thing. I don't know if people still, some people still like Twitter, but <laughs> I was all over it back then. And, um, and I actually found my now boss on Twitter. And I reached out and I asked him if I could interview him for this assignment. And he was got back to me right away, said, absolutely, no problem. Um, so I came to the office and I interviewed him for this assignment. And uh, I basically said, look, I'm like looking to make a change. I will do whatever. I just need some experience. I'll volunteer. I'll write you blogs, like whatever you need. And then I didn't hear from him for about two months. But I kept kind of like checking in, nudging, you know, just like, hey, I'm I'm around if there's something. And then sure enough, he ended up contacting me and they had like, created this part-time position for me to be able to go to school and get experience there and get paid to do it. And that's how I got my foot in the door. And then as soon as I was done that diploma, they hired me on full-time and I've been here ever since. So that's how I got into the role. It was kind of, kind of coincidental, but it, I'm glad it happened that way. For sure. And I mean... With your experience in almost a totally different area, like having worked for the government, I know from my own experience, I've done lots of different industries, lots of different jobs, but I've always had something that I've taken away from it, like always a like a positive impact. Um, mm -hmm. Would you say that you could list off like two or three things that you really learned from, from working for the government? I mean, looking back then, definitely... You know, it, it is good to have, I would say, some security in your in your job, depending on like what your goals are, where you are in life. You know, that is things that you may want to consider because going down sort of the startup route is uh, it's got its ups and downs for sure. And it's very, very different from the government. It's, it was like literally night and day. Um, so I would say, you know, kind of evalu evaluating what I wanted at the time. It was just not not the right fit but i would say the level of you know they have checks and balances like that's what the government's known for they just take it to like the next level but i think it is good to have some because mistakes get made and if you have you know it'll get caught easier that way down the road hopefully um but yeah i would say it was it was it was very interesting for sure and getting an inside look into you know really how government works and you know, like you'd have a minister change and all of a sudden you're changing everything because like you're reprinting all the letterhead because he wants to sign off with sincerely instead of all the best or something. Right. Like it was, it was stuff like that where it was like, whoa, I didn't know this stuff happened or that this was a thing. But um, it's good to know how the government works, like to get an inside look into like the machinery of what is the government. It uh, I think it's, it's good to have that knowledge for sure. Definitely. Um, and you talked a little bit about like sort of what would seem like maybe an obstacle when you're applying for work and then you quickly realize like if you went and got further education, it would make the journey easier. Um, how did you sort of navigate that? Like, are you quick to pivot? Do you hesitate? Like, what is your um, reaction to things that kind of get in your way? Uh, I have to be quick to pivot now. And I didn't used to be. That was something I had to learn. And it's something I had to learn working here. Uh, as, and especially working in like digital and e-commerce. If you don't pivot, you can't like 
change your plan quickly, you fall behind. And so, you know, kind of the old me, I was definitely more like, I'm a planner, like I need to have a plan of action. All my all my like risks are very calculated. Like I don't just do things on a whim. Now it's more, you know, if like Facebook could roll out an algorithm, different algorithm tomorrow. And now all of a sudden, all of my ads don't work anymore. They don't work as effectively anymore. So now I have to come up with a whole new strategy of how I'm going to make this work. Um, so it is it is really important to be able to pivot. And I've gotten a lot better at that. I would still say that I'm definitely a calculated risk taker. But if you can't pivot and you can't adapt, unfortunately, you know, you, there's a good chance you'll you'll fall behind. So I think it's it's a difficult thing to do, but it is a good skill to have. Well, it's true. And it's definitely something I can relate to. You talked about like that uh, stability and all of the everything that a startup is, is very relatable for the fitness industry. Um, when it comes down to algorithms, because that's a hot topic for a lot of people. So much of people's business and livelihood is connected to social media. If anybody in the audience had no idea what an algorithm was, how would you describe it to them? Well, how would I describe that? That's a good question. I don't think I've ever been asked that, but it's basically, I mean, kind of in a nutshell, it, it, it's what you see on Facebook when you log in. So for example, if they change, you know, like uh, Instagram changed and make their feed chronological, like chronological or, you know, or, or completely um, randomized, like that's like them, you know, pushing out something entirely new that now all of a sudden impacts everyone. Um, on the Facebook ad side of things, they might push something out where all of a sudden, you know, like your ad spend doesn't get you as far as it did before because now your ad isn't shown to as many people. Or I, like I know Facebook now is also blocking a bunch of stuff amid like the U.S. election and, you know, a lot of fake news and, and a lot of all the craziness that's going on in the world. There's some crazy groups popping up on Facebook and they're cracking down on all of that. So these are just, yeah, I would say it's kind of an update essentially that they push out and hopefully it doesn't change everything you've been working on. And usually it doesn't, but sometimes it'll, it'll change a few things. Definitely. From like a marketing standpoint, let's say someone has a product and you're guiding them through and let's say you had pillars to to your guidance of them marketing their product what would those pillars be like i know that's a long-winded question but it's just like <laughs> kind of diving down the rabbit hole of like where where a person needs to go in their direction of marketing themselves regardless of what industry that they're in well, the methodology that we follow is called the customer value journey, and it essentially consists of seven, yeah, seven steps. Um, so it'll take, you know, it basically is your customers, how your customer experiences your brand from when they become aware of your brand to when they're like a big raving fan and they're promoting it and telling all their friends about it. There's different steps along that journey. And based on where your customer is in that journey, there's different things that you do. So, you know, maybe at the awareness stage, maybe that's where you're like, running ads, for example, to get people to your website or to get people to engage with your content. And then you're writing blogs or you're putting out like podcast episodes or something like that. So people are starting to engage with your content. And then the idea is you want to get them to subscribe to something. So give you an email in exchange for something. So at that point, you know, there you've got them in your mailing list. And I always say the mailing list, like having a good mailing list is so important. And that's like one thing I harp on all the time. Um, so it, at that point, you 
you know, they're kind of in your community and then you can nurture them along to hopefully convert. So at that point, they've either bought something from you or they've, you know, booked an appointment, maybe a consultation or something like that. Like there's an exchange happening. Um, and then like, you know, that's kind of where the first transaction come, takes place, whether that's time or money. And from there, you're essentially wanting to excite them, ascend them, sell them something else. Like what's kind of the, you know, like top of the line, like what's the ultimate thing you can sell them? Then this is going to be like the most ideal customer of yours. How are you going to send them to that? Um, and then, like I said, it'll go to advocate and, and promote for you from there. So those are sort of the, the pillars that we consider in every single campaign that we run. It's the methodology that we use, and it's actually really, really effective. That's awesome. And it's kind of like I've been hearing so much about email lists lately and just how valuable that is. Because like what if social media crashes and then what are you going to do? And if you don't have like yeah. an email list, then all of that work is for nothing. Or if the algorithms change, like all of that work is for nothing. Um, what have been your most successful aspects of helping people with their email list, whether it is collecting one or making it effective? Yeah, I mean, I always tell people like the money is in the list, you know, having a nice clean list is just so important. And um, I, I've had some people write like, you know, somebody will unsubscribe, like they're monitoring the unsubscribes or somebody uh, marks them as spam and their heart just breaks and they're so devastated over this. I'm like, no, like you don't want those people on your list. They're never going to buy from you. They're most likely never going to buy anything from you. So in my opinion, like if people aren't subscribing, great, because most likely they weren't going to buy. Like I, I've had a list of 20,000 people and I went through like a deep clean of that list and I lost, I think it was like three or 4,000 people. And it was, I was like, great. Now my open rates are higher. Now my click-through rates are higher because the people left on that list are, are more engaged. So um, kind of the primary ways of collecting emails, obviously having a newsletter sign up on your website um, or like a pop-up or something like that. Um, Lead forms on Facebook are really effective, especially like leading up to Black Friday. What a lot of brands will do is have like uh, early, like give us your email and get early bird access to our Black Friday sale. So that's very effective. Um, brand collaborations, like I've seen especially some smaller brands, they'll team up with, you know, a handful of other brands. so They can do like a nice giveaway and collect emails that way. And then they share that list and they promote like they have a bigger audience because they each have their own audience. The only thing I will say about collecting emails through a giveaway is that a lot of those people are a little flaky because they only subscribe because they want to win something. So it's normal to see like maybe even half of those people drop off after the giveaway, after they didn't win. Um, but those are really like really effective, effective ways. And I mean, when people sign up to your list, like they're saying, okay, I'm interested in what you're talking about. Tell me more. And so I think that's like a, a, the greatest form of owned marketing to own your own list and be able to market them to them. Definitely. And I mean, there's got to be some aspect of like different softwares and stuff that help with it. Like I've, I've heard of MailChimp. I've heard of all these different services. Like mm -hmm. what has been your experience with that? Cause like, I'm a bit of like a, a video editing geek. I kind of get into the software there, but I know nothing about like, the services for as far as like maintaining and facilitating an email list uh the one my go-to email soft marketing platform is Clavio. uh so they are great for e-commerce because they integrate so nicely with shopify and i think other e-commerce platforms as well um 
but just the level of data they give you, like you can get so granular with what you send and who you send it to and how you segment your list and how you talk to different people and sync that up with your Facebook. So you're creating basically lookalike audiences of your like say VIP customers. You can create lookalike audiences of those people in Facebook and then target them on there as well. So it's a really, really powerful tool and I love it. Um, but I know I've used MailChimp in the past, not with e-commerce clients though. That was more for like B2B clients and like way back in the day. Um, so, and I know there's some other ones out there, like there's Constant Contact, OmniSend, like there's all these different ones, but my number one go-to all the time that I promote is Klaviyo. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, when it comes to Shopify, because I heard rumblings about how much platforms like Shopify have like grown in 2020. Like, I mean, just like, this year in general, just how much people have had to move to online. Like, what has that been like for you watching from from your point of view in how everything has sort of changed? It has been crazy, honestly. Like when in March, when everything sort of hit the fan here in Edmonton, at least, um, we didn't know what was going to happen. Like even as an agency, we were like, what's gonna like we had no idea are we gonna all have jobs in a month we didn't know and what ended up happening is we just started getting like the e-commerce clients that we already had they just like they were in it like they were like yep this is it like they were even ramping up at that point um and then there was a lot of brick and mortar stores that didn't have an online presence and they like panicked they're like we need to get online like now because you can't get you know people in the door or paying rent or whatever like you're losing money every day so we saw a lot of people coming asking you know, to help set up their shopify stores and that kind of thing so what we ended up doing is we offered a pay what you can course to it was like a live course taught by one of the partners of the agency and he basically walks you through how to build a shopify store from beginning to end like every aspect of it from you know selecting a theme actually populating the website to setting up payment gateways, shipping, taxes, all of it. So by the end of it, the people that took it had a fully functioning site and they could start selling like that day. And we made it pay what you can because we knew a lot of people were struggling and this was kind of our way of giving back. So people could take the course for as low as $5 or as high as 100 we only asked that they paid whatever they were able to pay at that point. And we had almost 100, 150 people that took that. And that was the first course that we had ever offered. And we put it together in like, honestly, I think it was two weeks max. What goes into putting together a course? Is it how the material is taught? Is it like filming like instructional videos? Like how does that come together for you guys? It's a lot. It's a lot of work. When we got into courses, I, didn't, I don't think I realized how much work it was going to be. And we just started offering them this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, from planning the modules, planning the course content, making sure because we have four different people teaching it. So we have to make sure every module works with the other one and not that we're talking about two completely separate things and it's disjointed. So there's a lot of planning involved. Uh, the tech side of it, we like to use Thinkific. Uh, they're a Canadian company out of Vancouver and they have, they're great. It's so user friendly. Like I was literally creating course content while one of my colleagues was teaching the course. Like I was in there doing it. So um it's really, really user friendly and they have a free option that's like forever free. So if you offer like pretty basic courses, it 
it's really easy to use and it's probably everything you need. Um, but yeah, from the tech side of that, there's that, then there is how are we gonna film it? So the first batch we just did live, like at our desks, but the next we're gonna offer kind of an evergreen course in the new year. And that's gonna be like full production, you know, standing in front of a TV teaching with like a little switchboard that's mixing between like the slides and the you know wide wide angle and all of that. So and then there's a promotion, like how are you gonna get people to sign up for this thing? So that that's another whole aspect. Um, and we had to get the website up like it's a completely separate website from our main site. Um, so it, it it's a lot of work <laughs> to, put, to put on a course. And then, you know, we offer coaching, weekly coaching, which is such a huge component to making sure people are getting things done and holding them accountable and answering questions. Um, like our students really like the coaching component. So you're kind of always there. It's a long term commitment. Definitely. And I like the crossover there. Like what I have seen is um, within the fitness industry, there's been a ton of courses going out and tons of value because like there's people who have been in the industry for 20 years and there's been people who have been in the industry for like five or less. And so Mm -hmm. the, the 20 year veterans have a lot that they can share. And the easiest way to sort of scale that out is to put all that effort into a course and yeah, it's definitely like a lot of effort on the back end, but to have something as versatile as like what exists in, in the internet world these days is uh, it's a game changer. Um, Mm -hmm. From, from your point of view, what was like the biggest industry that pivoted or like just something that stood out to you? Cause you talked about how there was some like brick and mortar where they had nothing in the online space. Was there one that was just like, the standout like hero's journey kind of thing, like something that was almost inspiring to, to watch? Well, we, I, I mean, for me anyways, we, I didn't have anybody that like went from brick and mortar online and it just like took off like crazy. It still like does require a little bit of ramping up because just because you build it doesn't mean people are going to come if they yeah. don't know that you exist. Um, but some, some of our clients that did do really well was, um, like kind of at-home cocktail kits, which, I mean, I can see why, because can't go out, right? So people are making cocktails at home. Um, Those did really well. Uh, Dog toys, like pet toys, anything like in the pet sphere did really well. Sporting goods, like like kayaks and things like that, because I guess people like didn't know what they were going to do in the summer. All their vacation plans got canceled. Um, So that did really well. I think those are kind of like oh and like anything at home like home uh office stuff which i mean everybody was working from home so that really took off but i think the one that surprised me was um like the kayaks because i i mean there's only so much kayaking you can do in alberta there's like a very short window but yeah although like the water sports stuff did really really well well i mean that's super cool to hear about because yeah it's bizarre just how much people really leaned into the small niche hobbies like i mean it's exactly as you said it there is only so much kayaking you can do but everybody and their dog went kayaking like i even went kayaking i didn't do much this summer but i went kayaking um there you go <laughs> explaining yeah more and hiking about, lots of hiking definitely and like as a side note anybody that goes hiking needs to remember to pick up their litter like that's something that really stood out just people just littering when they go out yeah i saw way too many tim horton scuffs and i never understood that like if you're going on a six hour hike why are you bringing like that double double is only gonna last you so long 
And then what are you going to do with that cup? And there's just like so many people, like I, that's what I saw the most was just like cups littered everywhere. And it was, yeah, it's gross. People need to pick up after themselves. Definitely. Uh, there's going to be people listening to this show that have no clue what Shopify is and like what you have to go going into it. So I'll get you to kind of give the, the basics of that kind of walk us through it. Yeah. So they're an e-commerce platform. So if you want to sell anything online, whether that's, you know, a service of some sort, um, a course or like a physical product, they provide you with a platform to do that. So you essentially set up a website, put your products on there and you know, set up your shipping, your payment gateways, like how are you going to get paid taxes if you're collecting taxes and you're off, you're, you're selling online. So they make it really easy. And the cool thing is that they are a Canadian company. So they're actually, they're based out of Ottawa, but they have just seen such explosive growth, even like pre COVID and now during COVID, they're just hiring nonstop. So they actually have offices all over the world now. But it all started with um, it actually used to be uh, like a, they used to sell snowboards, like it was basically just like a snowboard shop. And then Toby, who's the founder, he essentially made it into what Shopify is now. And it's used by, you know, over one. I think they're at over one billion merchants now worldwide. One one billion or one million. I might be exaggerating that, but one of those numbers. Um, but it's a lot. A lot of merchants are using Shopify Um and yeah, so I mean, and it's really easy, user friendly, very easy. You don't need to be like a web dev to get set up online. It's very straightforward um, and it makes it very easy to sell stuff online. Definitely. Do people have to have like, are they maintaining their own inventory or like, like, how does that work? Let's say somebody wants to sell like T-shirts or something like that. Like, do they have to stock their, their inventory and they ship it out directly? Yeah, it depends on like what, how they've set it up. If it, most of the small like mom and pop shops, they will do it from a lot of them from like home, they'll have it in like their basements or something like that. Or um, they'll, you know, have a warehouse somewhere or they'll do they'll use like a third party logistics provider. So somebody else will handle that part for them if they have a ton of inventory and you know, you don't have anywhere to put it. So it kind of depends on the size of the company. But um, we actually launched a, a catnip store <laughs> during COVID as well. And uh, it's Canadian grown catnip. And we actually still like ship it out of our office manager. She actually like has it in her house. So there's stuff like that that happens too, especially when you first start out. But some of the bigger operations, they'll have like, their own warehouse where they store inventory. Um have you ever had any experiences with companies starting up with like drop shipping? Like I know a little bit about drop shipping. I've heard some good experiences, some negative experiences. I'm just here to pick your brain. Yeah, that's a, that's a very frequent question that I get a lot um, because I think people think it's really easy, you know, like they think it's like so easy to set up and there's this whole like culture around that. Like, there's all these like, you know, expats in Bali that are just like drop shipping from, you know, this like beautiful villa in Bali and that's all they do. Um, draw, I personally, if I like, if I was to start a store, I, I wouldn't drop ship. It's just not my, my jam. Um, but essentially what it is, um, is like you're, you're basically just, you're almost kind of like playing the middleman. Like you sell the product on your Shopify store, but then it's fulfilled by someone in like say China, like whoever, whoever is actually shipping your product for you. So the downside to that is that it can take a long time for it to actually arrive. Like it can take a month for something to come. You have no control over what it looks like when it does arrive, you know, like it might be in like 
some really like shitty packaging with like Chinese writing all over it. And people are like, what did I order? Um, so you don't have control over that, over quality. You kind of really lose control over a lot of that. But on the plus side, it's really easy to get set up. Like it's very quick and you can start making money right away. So there's pros and cons to it. Um, usually the people that ask are the ones that kind of want not, to, not, I don't want to say get rich quick, but get money quicker, I guess. <laughs> well, you, you put it very kindly, and I think it's safe to be like easy come, easy go. When it comes to building your career, building your anything, if, if you got by it easily, you'll lose it easily. Like if, if you don't have control over the quality control of, of your product, then it's going to be pretty easy to just watch it get out of hand kind of thing. Yeah, like if you don't care about that and you just want to make some money, like maybe you're just doing this on the side to like pay your tuition or something, I don't know, then sure. But if you really want to have, give this like holistic brand experience, then you're going to want to own every aspect of your brand. And in that case, I would highly recommend starting your own, like doing your own thing. Definitely. And I'm going to pivot a little bit, go back to the email list, because a lot of people take for granted the value of like writing good copy. Um, like, so you send out your list um, and then what is it in, from your experience that kind of sets a brand apart where somebody actually opens their email and reads it to the finish kind of thing? Well, the cool thing is you, you can test all of this. Like you can A-B test different subject lines and figure out what works. Like for some brands, emojis in the subject line do really well. And for other brands, they don't. Um, like for anything I've sent, I like to include emojis and I noticed that it works because I've tested it with and without. So there's a little bit of a difference. Um, but usually you also have to keep in mind if you have like a very salesy um a very salesy subject line. Uh, sometimes what will happen is the e email will just right away go to like a promotion or a spam folder. So if you're like, you know, like big sale, like 50% off or something crazy, um, sometimes what happens is it just doesn't even go into their main inbox. It'll just go to a, either straight to spam or promotion folder or something like that. So I try to be a little bit more creative, but still have enough intrigue where they do, they want to open it. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's more straightforward, but if I'm sending out like a case study, let's say, um, you know, then I'll be very like, you know, how, how so-and-so brand used Privy, which is like a, one of the apps that we use to increase their revenue by a thousand percent. Like, and that will usually get a pretty high open rate because people will be like, oh, like, I want to read that. Um, so yeah, I would definitely say like test it, but whenever you do test it, you only want to change one variable at a time, because if you change like the entire subject line and throw in an emoji, then you don't know what actually resulted in the, the higher or lower open rate. Definitely. And I mean, to give people perspective, like what kind of a time frame would you look at for like testing? Cause like, obviously you're not going to be able to like figure out your outcomes overnight. Like, uh, what would your projected amount of time be to kind of really dial it in to be like, okay, now I know a formula. Now I know it works. I mean, it depends on how often you send emails to, uh, usually like I'd probably say 30 days, um, especially if you send like one or two emails a week or something like that, that should give you enough data. But if you only send like one email a month, which is also like quite in infrequent, um, then you probably want to look at more like a six month window. But usually a 30-day window will give you a pretty good idea. Definitely. Um, so then we're going to 
bring it back into like work-life balance because I know that you like to work I know that you're very career oriented and we started talking about like hiking and seeing the Tim Hortons cups like when you're burning the candle at both ends if you've ever been at a point in your career where you're just like holy crap I'm tired like how do you balance that out how do you keep your your sanity in life I've definitely been there um I think after the holiday season's over I'll probably need like some time to decompress. Um, but what I mean, what I like to do is like I exercise almost every morning, like before work, I'll have like my little, you know, 45 minute routine. Um, and that's like through like a virtual trainer app. And uh, I'll do that. And that kind of sets me up for the day. And I'm definitely a morning person. Like I'm not somebody who wakes up and I need time to wake up. Like I'm up and I'm on. I'm already like, boom, boom, boom. Like I know what I need to do which changes drastically in the evening. Like I'm not a night person at all. So I know like my window to get things done is from like 6 a.m. to 1 p.m. That's where I'll get the majority of my work done. And then it'll like my, you know, it kind of tinkers off from there. Um, But yeah, I definitely, I I like to exercise. I um, like to play volleyball recreationally just so I don't have to like think about anything, but you know, just having fun. Yoga is huge for me. I've I've been doing yoga for over 10 years now. So that just, I really like it. Um, And then this summer I have done probably a bit more hiking than usual because there was nowhere, nowhere else to go. So, um, and my sister was actually living in Banff. So she was living back for the summer and still is actually, she's coming back this month. But uh, so I took advantage of that because I had free accommodation. So I actually like worked from Banff for a week, which was really nice. Being able to like work remotely is great. Um, But yeah, I think like when I'm at home too, unless I do find myself thinking about work a lot, but most of the time it's because I'm excited about what I, what I'm doing. Sometimes it's because I'm just stressed. So I do sometimes have a hard time just like turning off it and going to sleep at night. Um, But I think it's just kind of knowing like when you need to shut things down. And if you need to take a day off, you need to take a day off. Like you're not going to get anything done if you're just mentally not there. So that's when I need the time I, I take it. And when I do, and when I am like off, when I'm on vacation, I'm not doing work. I'm not checking emails. I don't care what's going on at that point. It's like, this is my time. I don't want to think about it. And I think that's that's important too. Definitely. And I'm glad that you have such like a, like a structure for, for your fitness routine. Because so often, because I'm in the fitness world, I eat, live, breathe, fitness kind of thing. And I just assume other people are just as like, that it's just as important to them. And then every so often I have like this wake up call and I'm like, you know, like some people, they're not quite at that level, but I just, it, it is obviously biased to me to say, but I think it's so important for people to have like something where they can like get that reset physically, mentally, um, kind of like test their limits with their body and whatever modality that they like, like you spoke highly about yoga. And I think that is a great thing to have something where, you're finding like your your flow state, finding your kind of limits, finding your bandwidth and just all of these different aspects of who we are as people. Um, mm-hmm. And you kind of brought up how when you go on a holiday, you shut things off. And in my own experience, I would say the same thing, but it's not always easy to do. So when it comes to like setting up those boundaries, like really just shutting things off, like what is it? 
that you have to do? Do you have like uh, notifications that you turn off? Do you redirect your emails? What What do you end up doing? I actually have really good self control. I just don't check it. Like I, when I, when I tell myself in my head, I'm not going to do something, I don't do it. It's the same thing with like, you know, with like food. Like if I, if I tell myself I am going to eat that entire cake, I'm going to eat that entire cake. But if I'm going into it, like, no, I'm not doing it. Like I'm just going to have one slice. Then that's what I do. Like I've, I've been very good with that. I'm quite disciplined. So I don't usually find that I need, you know, like to, to apps to like, turn things off, whatever. I just don't check it because I'm just like mentally, I'm out. I'm not there anymore. And if I'm in vacation mode, I'm in vacation mode. Well, that's awesome. Which is a good segue to the next question I'm going to ask because it seems that you're very structured. You kind of like know the inputs that you need to get the outputs that you need. Um, do you set goals for yourself? Like when you're looking into the, the next two, three years, do you have an idea of where you want to be? I have an idea. Yeah. Like career wise, I know where I want to be. I know, you know, in my life kind of where I want to be, if I want to have a family or something like that. Um, but at the same time, I do like to leave room for if some, another great opportunity comes up, I don't want to be closed off because I have this like structured thing in my head. Um, I definitely wouldn't say I'm, a, I'm not a spontaneous person. I wish I was more of a spontaneous person, but usually I'm like to know what I'm doing and plan things out. Um, but I can pivot quickly. And I, you know, if something, a curveball gets thrown my way, like yeah, I get off balance a little bit, but I, I pick myself back up. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where <laughs> I think I was just like raised to be very disciplined. And so when I know what I want, I really go after it even if I have to try like, you know, 500 times. I just keep trying and then eventually it works. Definitely. Well, I mean, like even just zooming in on a closer scope, like quarter to quarter, and I'll give you an example. Like I just finished up uh, participating in a quarterly mentorship and the coaches that were leading it talked about how the at the end of a quarter, they would talk about like what went well and they'd be extremely like honest about it. Like if if something didn't go the way they wanted it to and it pained them to be open about it they would still disclose it to each other because if if you're ignoring it it's still going to be a problem um <clears throat> do you get reflective like that at each quarter of the year or is there a process that you do to like continually grow because like i'm kind of like i'm big into personal development so my brain's thinking about that all the time but I can't just blankly assume that everybody's going to be like that. So like, what, what's your experience like in terms of that, that area? Well, I think I should probably be better at actually writing down goals. Like I've never actually written them down and then kind of like check them off. Like I've never made, you know, like a new year's list or something like that. Um, I kind of take it in chunks. Like as things come, if I know that, you know, Hey, I want to teach a course then as scary as that is to be like thrown into that in like, you know, two weeks, I had the whole thing put together and it went really well and I was really proud of it. So then like, I'll reflect on that and just see, you know, what I, what I did to get there. Like, I think it's easier because I focus sometimes too much on like the micro things that I don't see how far I've actually come. So I need to sometimes remind myself to take a step back and see like, okay, where were you at five years ago? Where were you at 10 years ago? Because I think the last five and a half years, if I had to, if you know, kind of 
look at it from an outsider's perspective, I'm like really, really happy with what I've done and how far I've come. Um, and yeah, I mean, like even going back to school, I was always like very academic. And if I got anything less than 80%, it wasn't good enough. Like I retook, I remember in high school, I retook calculus because I got 75%. I retook the whole course just to get over 80%. So I'm very like when I kind of, zone in on something i go after it but i think i do need to be better about actually writing it down and maybe that's like almost the scary part for me is like what if i write it down and then i don't i, I can't check it off at the end of the year then the ocd in me is like oh i just want to put a check mark next to that and i can't um so there's room for improvement there for sure i should definitely start doing that well i'm glad that you brought that up because it's like something that i bring up with my clients and i saw it in a social media post the other day like people doing like their you know how a person's on their fitness journey and they take their cell phone and they're taking their mirror selfie and it's like it's not for the purpose of they have to share that it's just sometimes when a person's making incremental progress over the course of let's say like five years they come a long way and if they aren't introspective and looking back at that they'll have no clue how far they came and like they'll get discouraged or they'll feel defeated or they have one setback like the equivalent of of like the calculus class that you talked about one setback and they're like oh no i i've gotten nowhere <laughs> and yeah that's something that i think is valuable for a lot of people in the middle of this pandemic year that we're having um because like you talked about businesses pivoting and growing and stuff but even in a non-pandemic year businesses have to pivot and grow and stuff it's just like it's it's just gonna be that way it's like supply and demand it's the changing of technology the changing of industry and it's a matter of like having the the right outlook of it and being willing to learn like you talked about how you were willing to go back to school and that was that was the difference right there and you you found your way into your company by kind of like just being open with dialogue and like kind of getting your foot in the door and like sometimes that's just the missing link so i hope people got some takeaways from that but one thing that i wonder sorry i'm just kind of going off on a tangent here but like <laughs> that's okay <laughs> who, that's all good in in your life who do you look up to like who who are your mentors or your role models Professionally, uh, like career-wise, I really look up to um, this girl called Greta Van Riel. She's uh, she's like an e-commerce guru. Um, she started five multi-million-dollar e-commerce companies before she was even thirty, and like she teaches a bunch of courses for people that want to sell stuff online. So she's really like she knows her stuff, and I just like follow her on everything, and you know, kind of look at what she's teaching and and try to implement that. So professionally, definitely her. Um, but personally, you know, I'm like, you know, like a value level and just like who I am as a person, like it's hands down my parents. Like there's not even, <laughs> there's not even anybody else that comes to mind because, you know, like they had to restart their lives from scratch twice, learn two new languages. Like they learned English in their mid thirties, which it, like if I think now if I had to learn a language now and I'm in like a completely new country. I have no support system. All my family is like across the ocean. I don't speak the language. I don't have a job. And I have two small kids. Like I would feel, I feel like I'd have a nervous breakdown. So I honestly, like, I don't know how they did it. I don't know like how they 
got to where they are, but they, you know, always worked hard and they built this life for themselves here. And now when you look at them, you would never think that they've been anything, but like here their entire lives. And like, this is it. This is where they've been. Like, you'd never think there's like, they had all these like, separate lives essentially on like a different continent, you know, back in the day. So yeah, I mean, if I even have like a little bit of the resilience, you know, and, and like the stamina and just, the optimism that they have, I think I'll be fine. <laughs> and I, and I hope that like my kids one day have that too. Well, I mean, that is a valuable takeaway. I mean, not everybody is going to have the exact same like parental guardian experience, but for people who have spent their life with their parents by their side, like those, those individuals have probably been through hell and high water and with the perspective that they've had over their years of life they're going to be like eh you know like we got through it because they've been up and down so many times that it just seems like another day and they're going to have little nuggets of advice that help people when they feel like there's no getting up or that there's no hope like i i've had so many pep talks from my parents that i've been like oh i never even looked at it that way or like oh you just like it's that simple just apply yourself kind of believe in yourself uh just put up one foot ahead of the other kind of thing take it day by day like those little things are uh pretty helpful yeah and it's like definitely the whole you know don't sweat the small stuff like when i come to them with my problems they like they laugh because my problems aren't problems to them and because like I, they've lived through something completely different than like i have and hopefully i never will have to to me like these little things are like this is the end and they're like no 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 you don't <laughs> trust us you're you're good so uh, yeah it's it's definitely a different perspective and it's very grounding for sure and like i realize that i'm very lucky to have had like parents like that and to have a close family i realize that's not like that for everyone so i i definitely i'm very lucky in that way definitely um so since I came across you on LinkedIn and you might be able to see that I have no clue what I'm doing on LinkedIn, like what, what's your advice for LinkedIn as a social media platform? Like I'll be full disclosure. The first couple times that I really honestly tried to do it, somebody tried to sell me something and it was just like every day somebody was trying to sell me something. I'm like, no. And it's, yeah. On the flip side, it's like I'm I'm here to mostly just like network and meet people, but like everybody in the world is selling something. Like we all have to eat. We're all selling something, whether it's for the company we work for or it's the knowledge that we're imparting on people. Um, what would be your like best advice for navigating the world of LinkedIn for a person like me who mostly just exists on Instagram? Yeah, I mean, first, one thing I will say is like, with, there's nothing wrong with wanting to sell something if you're selling it to the right person, if you're selling it to, you know, your potential customer. But if you've completely missed the mark on that end, then you're just annoying people and you've just completely, you know, not identified your customer in the right way. So that's like a whole other story. But um, for LinkedIn, what I've actually seen is like LinkedIn organically, it's a lot easier to get more reach than somewhere like Instagram. Like Instagram, it is quite difficult. Um, and I think LinkedIn introduced like LinkedIn, like the, essentially like their own stories feature and these different things. I don't know if they rolled it out to everyone yet or only certain accounts, but my strategy with LinkedIn is number one, like I connect with people that are like in my industry or say I'm looking to build a new partnership with like another app or something like that. I'll connect with those people. And I always like to add a note for the most part anyways, like I like to add a note about 
you know, how I found them or something like that. Um, commenting on their stuff and actually like relevant things, not just like, awesome, good job, stuff like that. Like I'll actually comment on things that they're posting. Um, and then like when I post stuff, it's actually good to ask people to like, like it and share it because the more, the quicker that happens, the more likely LinkedIn is to pick it up and show it to more people. Um, I have heard that the hashtags on LinkedIn work. So that could be something I haven't seen anything crazy with that, but I don't know. Other people have told me that it does work. Um, and even like one of my colleagues, like he's a, he's a pretty young guy and he's like one of our sales guys. And he, I think he only like really took off on LinkedIn about six months ago, but he uses it regularly now and he gets really good engagement on his posts. And he's just all over LinkedIn, like commenting on everyone's stuff all the time. Like this guy's everywhere. So I think it's just a matter of building your network on there and then actually being on the platform, engaging when you post content, like don't be afraid to put a video up there of, you know, yourself talking or something like that people like that kind of stuff versus just like a static you know you'll i think you'll see a lot of stuff of like excited to announce this or like so excited about this like i try to stay away from that because if i you know i have to see one more pose with somebody being excited or proud of something it's like all right but um like i'm proud i'm excited for you but like you know <laughs> i don't know give me something else um and i think a lot of people are using linkedin like there is such a way as using it incorrectly. Like it's not Instagram. So maybe don't put like completely like even appropriate memes or things like that. But I know right now for, especially for remote work, what I'm seeing a lot on my feed is people like sharing their view of from like where they're working. So that's really taking off um, in the remote work culture. But I think there's a lot of potential on LinkedIn. Like I've connected with a lot of people on there. I've made some really great, great relationships on there. Uh, I agree. Like I look at it as a vacant coffee shop. And it's just a matter of finding your connecting piece and be like, hey, I do this. What do you do? And if you're genuine about it and like you say, kind of like putting yourself in the right room, like I get reached out by a lot of former personal trainers that are now doing something else. And they want to know if I want to do that something else, too. And I'm like, no, I want to be a personal trainer. I don't want to do your thing. And it's just like, yeah, it's kind of read your audience like if if you're finding someone that says i quit personal training well that that could be your audience but if you're finding someone that uh, has a podcast about fitness and yeah. puts time into their website well they're probably not going to leave the industry anytime soon kind of thing exactly like it's a, like read the read the room right like it, this is goes back to the selling thing too don't try to sell something to someone that's never going to buy from you because they're completely the wrong customer for you it's sort of the same thing with connections too definitely so for every episode that i've recorded lately i've had my guest put out a challenge of the day and it's kind of it puts people on the spot but it's your opportunity to impact everybody that listens to this episode by perhaps putting them out of their comfort zone or having them try something new so mm -hmm. From this point forward, you'll just be like your challenge of the day is and then just put it out into the universe. All right. My challenge, I mean, I would challenge people to teach something. So there's something, you know, like everybody can teach something, I think. And as I've read a number where, you know, if you know 10% more than the average person about a topic, teach it because you know, 10% more than the average person. And I think that can be really nerve wracking because you're scared to put yourself out there. Cause what if there's like somebody who knows more than you and they call you out on stuff or whatever, but 
teaching something is also the best way of learning something really, really well. I found that like, for myself, that's worked really well. And it's been very scary because it's like, I don't know everything there is to know about this, but I learned it and I know it really well now. So I, I'm confident in teaching it now. So I would say, find something that you're good at or something that you want to learn more about and teach it. That's really good advice. Like, I think a lot of people take for granted that whole like 10% rule that you brought up. It's just why wait until you're like 80% smarter than the next person? Why not just level people up 10%? Um, so then the last and final question that I have for you is if you gave one piece of advice to someone on how to live their life to the fullest in the most authentic way, what would that piece of advice be? I mean, it is, it's a cliche, uh, totally, because a lot of people have said this, but really, like, don't be afraid of just giving it your all and failing, because you never see how many times people fail. You only ever see when they actually succeeded, and you think it was an overnight thing. And nine times out of 10, it was never an overnight thing. Like, they've been working up for to this for years and years, and they've put, you know, so much effort into it. And then one day, the opportunity and the timing, it all aligned and it worked for them and to everybody else it looks like it just happened overnight and I know for me nothing ever happened overnight like I just maybe haven't been lucky but everything was always working hard and then eventually manifested itself into some really really great success so I would say you know if you if you want that job like there's a job you want find the person that's going to be your boss you know, connect with them on LinkedIn, find them on every channel possible, be everywhere so that when they see, you know, your name pop up, they're going to be like, oh yeah, that's the person that's been like sending me these emails or like commenting on my LinkedIn post or something like that. Maybe I should give them a chance. Sometimes you have to annoy your way into a situation and then it works out. So yeah, just don't be afraid and the people are going to reject you. And if they reject you, oh, well, like I think I, I remember reading too on that, like, about a third of the people you meet in life are going to like you. A third are going to be indifferent so they can be swayed either way. And then a third are never going to like you no matter what you do. So why would you waste your time on that third that they're never going to like you anyways? Just do your thing. Don't worry about the haters. And um, you'll be good. That's perfect advice. Honestly, that thirds thing, I've never heard that before. And um, I think many people could reflect on that and it could provide some clarity for direction for a lot of people mm -hmm. so with, i hope so yeah like with that being said i want to thank you so much for joining me no problem thank you so much for having me this was fun